excited to be here and have this opportunity of preaching the gospel to you. You have your Bibles, wonder, would you look with me at the seventh chapter of the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. The ninth verse of the seventh chapter of the book of the Revelation. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Three to one side, three to the other side, the fourth one in the middle. What's heaven all about? Look at the fourth one. It's about thanksgiving. That's what we're going to do in heaven for all eternity. We're going to bless and praise and give thanksgiving to God. But in every scriptural seven, the first is related to the seventh. The second is related to the sixth. And the third is related to the fifth. So you'll notice that the blessing goes with the might. You'll never get the might of God without the blessing of God. The glory to God goes with the power. You can never get the power of God until you give God the glory. And the wisdom of God goes with honor, for you'll never know honor except you know God's wisdom. But I want you to notice it commences with amen, and it finishes with amen. And in the previous chapter we read that Christ is the amen. So heaven begins with Christ, and heaven's apex is Christ, and it's Christ all the way through. This is a wonderful picture of heaven. Now look at verse 13. And one of the elders answered. You'll not even get rid of the elders in heaven. They'll be there, brother. You'll have to endure them for all eternity. Amen. As long as you haven't endured deacons, you're all right. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, 
These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And God shall stamp with his own divine seal of approval this reading from the infallible book for his name's sake. I would like you to open your Bibles at this seventh chapter of the book of the Revelation and at this portion of God's Word that I have just read. We have here in this scripture a wonderful unveiling of heaven. Some weeks ago, it was my duty as the European MP for Northern Ireland to attend the funeral of little Jennifer Carday, that young girl who was abducted from her home and brutally murdered, and whose little body was found floating on that dam outside Hillsborough. The Baptist minister and my own friend and colleague, the Reverend William Minister, the Reverend William Beatty, who took the funeral, both quoted from this seventh chapter of Revelation. And as I stood there in the home, and as I stood at the small little grave, and watched that coffin lowered into Mother Earth. The words of that chapter came home to me in a new and very vivid manner. For here in this chapter, you have the simple and the sublime. You have the majestic and the mysterious. You have the temporal and the eternal. So woven together by the power of the Spirit of God that we are given a vivid picture of that place that I have not seen. Ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what 
God has prepared for those that love him. Now this portion of scripture answers for us two important questions. Question number one. Who from earth shall be in heaven? That's a very important question. We'd do well to consider it. We'd do well to ponder it. We would do well to consider and ponder the biblical answer to that question. Who from earth shall be in heaven? And then secondly, what do they do there? What do they do there? And that's an equally important question and worthy of our earnest and constant consideration. Now let's ask the question, who from earth shall be in heaven? And in clear, unequivocal, easily to be understood language, the Spirit of God answers, Who from earth shall be in heaven? A great multitude. That's the answer. God gives the answer. Who from earth shall be in heaven? A great multitude. And then if you look with me at the scripture, you'll find five things concerning this multitude. Five in scripture is a number of grace. It's grace that takes men to heaven and only grace alone. So the marks of grace are evident on the people of grace who by the grace of God have made the glory land. All right, who from earth shall be in heaven a great multitude? Notice the first characteristic of this multitude. It is a mighty multitude. And look, here is a statement that really staggers us. Which no man could number. Have you got that? which no man could number. So I have a right to say it is a mighty multitude. No man could number. The other day I was watching one of my twin boys packing his bag to go to school. And I saw him slipping into his bag a calculator. I said, son... What do you do with that? He says, we do our sums in school with a calculator. I said in the old days, if I had brought the mechanical gadget to do my sums, I would have been so punished in a certain place that I couldn't have sat down in the seat in comfort for many weeks. I said in the old days, son of pounds, shillings, and pence, that you wouldn't know anything about if I had brought a ready reckoner 
to do my pound shillings and pence sums, I would have been severely chastised. And then I thought of this text of Scripture, which no man could number. Now, of course, men have calculating machines that can add up to numbers that would boggle the imagination and stagger the mind. But I want to tell you tonight, according to the blessed word of God, that no man with all his machinery, with all his gadgets, with all his electronic machinery, can number the people that are in heaven. Man, we're talking not about a scanty crowd here. We're talking about a celestial crowd, a triumphant throng, a blessed brotherhood and sisterhood that no man can number. That's what the Bible says. I happen to believe the Bible. I happen to literally believe the Bible. I happen to believe that this Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. That crowd in heaven, no man can number it. What a teeming throng. What a blessed multitude. What a glorious brotherhood. What a triumphant sisterhood. The crowd of saints in yonder glory land. Let me say something which might stagger you. There'll be more people in heaven than in hell. I said that the other Sunday in a certain place. And a fellow charged up after the meeting. And he said to me, you're absolutely wrong. I said, am I not? Oh yes, he said, you're absolutely wrong. There'll be far more people in hell then they'll be in heaven. I said, all right, my friend. I'm handing you the Bible now. And I'm asking you to show me a text of scripture where it says the people in hell are a multitude which no man can number. Now you find it. Come on now. Start in Genesis. Go right through the Bible. And you'll be here next week. And the week after, and you'll not find it. Nobody says, I've got a text. Well, I said, you know, a text becomes a pretext when it's taken out of its context. And I said, no text of Scripture contradicts another. So if you've got a text, and yet your interpretation of it contradicts the plain teaching of Scripture, your interpretation is wrong. Nothing wrong with a text, but it's wrong with a pretext that you're making of it. He says, well, it says, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. I said, that's right. Now I said, let's look at the second part. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Ah, he says, I've got you now. I says, have you? I said, that's a text of contrast. Don't you know that everybody has gone through the wide gate? 
and is on the broad road. So the Lord Jesus is making a contrast. And I said, of course, there must be more go through that broad gate than goes through the narrow gate because all of us, sinners and saints alike, once went through that road. I said, too, that text of Scripture has something else in it. It talks about finding Christ. That, of course, represents those who have come to the age of accountability. And bless God for the day in our life when we were accountable to God and we found the way in the gospel preaching. But I said I want to tell you of a great crowd that really staggers me and they never reached the years of accountability. The children of all ages who died before they knew their right hand from their left. I said, where are they? Are they in hell? No, sir. Every one of them at death regenerated by the Spirit of God and perfect in holiness reached the blessed land that I'm talking about tonight. Even David said of that child of his born in sin, he said, he cannot come to me, but I shall go to him. You ever think of that multitude? Man, what a crowd that is. All the children of the age of the flood. You just think of that. Or they come to the years of accountability are covered in the blood of the Lamb. I'll tell you what's more. Those that never come to the years of accountability because of the imbalance of mind. They never had the opportunity to embrace Christ because their minds were so disarranged from birth that they were unable to grasp the principles and precepts of the gospel. I believe they too are covered under the blood of Christ and at death are regenerated and go to the Father's house of many mansions. So I said when you take that crowd and you put it beside the devil's crowd, I said when we get to heaven, the devil will not shake his fist in the face of God and say, God, I have more people in hell than you ever got to heaven. No, sir. I want to tell you the trophies of Christ will far outnumber the captives of the devil. That's why it says it's a multitude which no man can number. Tell me, are you numbered among that multitude tonight? Tell me, is your name written there on that page bright and fair? Have you made sure that you have found that narrow way and that straight gate that leadeth unto life. A great multitude. It's a mighty multitude. Now look secondly. It's a miscellaneous multitude. What does it say about it? Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. For in scripture is the world number 
the world was finally created and finished on the fourth day. It was peopled on the fifth and sixth day. The Bible talks about the four corners of the earth. It talks about the four great world empires. It talks about the four great seas. So four is the world number. And here we have the whole world here. Nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. This is an international body and an interracial body. It's a miscellaneous multitude. There's not a nation that's not represented. There is not a people that's not represented. There is not a tongue that is not represented. And glory to God, there's not a kindred that's not represented. Did you read it? The right of every nation. The right of every people, the right of every kindred, and the right of every tongue. Man, I'm telling you, you're fairly narrowing it down when you're talking about kindreds, the in-laws and outlaws, and all the rest of them. But I tell you, that's what the Bible says in this text of Scripture. It's a miscellaneous multitude. Man, I'm glad about that. The other Lord's Day, uh, two visitors came to our church from the Irish Republic, from the city of Dublin, both Roman Catholics. They came to see this preacher, to see if he had horns, hoofs, and a tail. The preacher wasn't there, for I was preaching in Canada. The Reverend Fred Buick was there, and God blessed his testimony and they both of them got saved they found the priest that could forgive their sins they found a confessional where there was pardon without money and without price and they both got saved it's a great thing to evangelize the heathen of dublin from the raven hill road that's a special privilege let me tell you i'm glad god can see a people in the Irish Republic. I'm glad God can save people in Ulster. The people in Republic think we need to be saved. And we think the people in the Republic need to be saved. So it's a mutual consideration. But thank God they can be saved. Doesn't matter whether a man's colored in his skin red. Or black or brown or yellow. Or white. It matters not the pigment of his skin. It matters not the tongue he speech, speaks with, the nation he comes from, the kindred he belongs to. Praise God, the Lord can save him and see him to the very uttermost, all that come unto God by him. It's a miscellaneous multitude. So it doesn't matter where you come from or who your relations are or what your religion is, or what you think about the preacher, or what you don't think about the preacher, it doesn't matter, the Lord can save you. Now tell me tonight, are you among this mighty multitude? Are you among this miscellaneous multitude? Then you'll notice also, it's a musical multitude. As we read the passage of Scripture, 
in comparing and speaking of heaven in the book of the Revelation, we read that they're singing. They're singing. They sing a new song. I want to make an announcement tonight. I haven't commenced my musical ministry as yet. I'm going to commence it someday. The Reverend William McRae thinks he can sing, and so he can. Our sister thinks she can sing, and so she can. But I'll out-sing her, and I'll out-sing the Reverend William McRae, and every other gospel songster someday. I'll hold a service of the songs of praise at the crossroads in Glory Square. I'll invite you along when I sing my first solo. I'll sing so sweetly that angels will fold their wings and you'll shout hallelujah and you'll say, Paisley, you should have started singing down below. Yes, we're all going to have a musical ministry. I can't play a harp, but one day I'll play it. And I'll play it so sweetly that the re-echo of that gospel song that I shall play shall help to perfume the atmosphere of heaven and bring glory to the Lamb that sits on the midst of the throne. Glory to God, it's a musical multitude. You know why? Because they learned the song down here on earth. Listen. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay and on a rock he set my feet establishing my way. He put a new song in my mouth. One day I learned this new song. Bless God will not need these instruments up in heaven. Let me tell you something tonight. The man that got this song when he was saved, he has longed to be able to sing it, but he can't get the right pitch or the right note. But one day he'll hit the right pitch. And thank God he'll get the right rhythm when he sings it in yonder glory land. It's a musical song. Friend, have you learned this song? Have you? Or maybe you're still in the miry pit. Maybe you're still in the darkness. Praise God you can be hoisted out of it tonight. And thank God you can learn the new song. It's a mighty multitude, a miscellaneous multitude. Bless God it's a musical multitude. But there's something else. It's a miraculous multitude. Listen. These are they that came out of great tribulation. Of course, if I could say to you tonight, that all this multitude, from the day they were saved, they had no battles, no opposition, no conflict, no war, no sickness, no depressions, no disappointments. Then it wouldn't be much of a miracle that got them to heaven. The way absolutely smooth, the weather absolutely calm, the sailing, plain sailing, all the way. But no such thing, friend. This multitude were battered by the battering rams of hell, opposed by the regiments of the, the devil, opposed by every temptation of the world, assaulted by the assaults of the flesh. Every inch of their way to heaven 
was contested ground. They were beaten. They were battered. They were bruised. They were assaulted. They went through fire and flame and flood. Some through the fire. Some through the flood. Some through great trouble. But all through the blood. I want to tell you, friend, this is a miraculous multitude. For praise God, they all made it, every one of them. And I want to tell you, every child of God will get to heaven. Hallelujah. Oh, you might be bruised. You might be battered. You might hit a rough piece of the road where there's thorns across the pathway and rugged rocks that will jag and tear your feet. As you climb Zion's hill, but bless God, you'll make it, sir, if the Spirit of God's in your heart. You know why? You're sealed unto the day of redemption. Christ in you, the guarantee of glory. Christ is guaranteed we're going to make it. There'll not be a child of God ever in hell. Hallelujah. It's a miraculous multitude. They all made it. Last of all, you'll notice... That it's a monumental multitude. What are the monuments of? These are they that came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes. Thank God they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. There was a time when the robes weren't washed. There, were a time, there was a time when this great multitude was a multitude of the worst sinners outside of hell. Stamped, soiled, debauched, depraved, ignorant, unsavory, corrupted, and vile. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you'll see what they were like before they were washed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye have been washed. Ah, who were these people? I'll tell you who they were. They were fornicators. They were idolaters. They were adulterers. They were effeminate. They were abusers of themselves with mankind. They were thieves. They were coveters. They were drunkards. They were revilers. They were extortioners. But bless God, they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'll tell you, it's a monumental multitude, this crowd. They're monuments of the power of the Savior's blood. Well, let me tell you something. In the book of Romans, I was telling my friends in the prison that there are four Roman nuns. 
And they're the only nuns that I believe in. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that knows God. Four dark Roman nuns. And I believe in every one of them. Now let me tell you, friend, there's not a person here tonight that's fit for heaven. They're only fit for hell. You may not be outwardly a fornicator or an adulterer. You may not outwardly be in any of the classes that are listed here. But let me tell you, the seed of all those sins is in your heart. It's only the mercy of God that didn't flower forth. I was speaking in the prison today. Years ago when we started our prison service, there wasn't a man that we addressed was born again. But God has done a great work of grace in that prison. And around the Lord's table this morning, we had 16 men, every one of them gloriously and wonderfully seen, with a testimony in the prison to the changing power of the gospel of redeeming love. And when you talk to a man and say to him, what are you in for? He says, I'm in for five murders. And you hear that man sitting at the Lord's table and with tears running down his cheeks praising God for what God has done for his soul. I tell you, you'll believe then in the power of the blood. You'll believe then. And as the officers say, we have not no time for these men. They don't agitate like the other prisoners. They want Bible classes and prayer meetings. It's so strange. Of course it is. They're changed by the supernatural grace of Almighty God. Let me tell you, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make ten thousands clean. Thank God his blood atones for me. Tell me, friend, are you washed in the blood? That's the question. I'm not asking you what church you belong to. I'm not asking you baptized or non-baptized. I'm not asking you, do you take communion or do you not take communion? I'm not asking you tonight, do you sing in the choir, teach in Sunday school, say your prayers, read the Bible, live a decent life. I'm asking you, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the only thing that matters. If you're not washed, dear, you're for hell. If you're not washed, man, you're for hell. If you're not washed, young person, in the Savior's blood, heaven's gates you will never see. For only blood-washed ones are there, the ransomed and forgiven. Thank God it's a monumental crowd that's there in heaven. Mighty multitude, a miscellaneous multitude, a musical multitude, a miraculous multitude, and a monumental multitude. Now let's look at the second question. What do they do in heaven? And there's five things that we find out in this chapter they do in heaven. Look at verse 9. It says in verse 9, they have palms in their hands. The first thing they do in heaven, they celebrate the victory. That's what they do. There was a time it looked as if this crowd would never make it. There was a time it looked that they were going to lose the struggle 
and the devil was going to trample them under his feet and they were going to become shipwrecked and lost on the temptation rocks of the enemy. But they have exchanged their blood-stained sword for that blood-bought palm. And there's not a mark of blood upon that palm of victory. And up yonder in heaven that great multitude which no man can number. What are they doing tonight? They're celebrating the victory. They're not celebrating their own victory. There are preachers and they preach a gospel. And if you follow out logically the end of that gospel then heaven would be an admiration society. And they would say one to another, didn't we do well? We made it. That other poor fellow, he fell by the way. He couldn't get up the hill. He couldn't get across the stream. He couldn't make the summit. But we have made it. Patting themselves on their backs. I want to tell you, friend, they're not celebrating their own victory. They're celebrating Christ's victory. Where did he win it? He won it at the cross. He didn't wave a palm. He carried a cross. He didn't wear a garland of glory. He wore a crown of thorns. Into his hands was not thrust a palm of victory. But into his hands was kneeled. A kneel to hold him to that tree. His back was lashed. His cheeks were torn as they pulled the hairs from off his cheeks. And battered, bleeding, bruised, he bled. But bless God, he bled in triumph and cried, It is finished. And the work was done. And the believing people of God were saved with an everlasting salvation. Ordered in all things and sure. They celebrate the victory. Praise God. What a victory celebration we're going to get. Do when we get to heaven. What victories we've had. You know my friend. One thing about heaven I love. There'll be no sin there. If you're a true believer. You'll hate sin. With all your heart and soul and mind. Man it dogs our footsteps. Rises up before our eyes. Tries to put itself into our thoughts, into our memories, and into our hearts. But praise God, there's a day coming when we'll be in a sinless heaven. Man, what a day that's going to be. No more sin. Hallelujah. I'll jump six feet high when I get to heaven. There'll be no more sin there. Bless God. And thank God there's going to be no devil there. No devil to meet us in the morning. And face us with temptation. And try to get us into bondage. And I must say that. Praise God there'll be no Pope there. That's one place. I think that's what I'll write on the wall. No Pope here. For thank God it's the only place you can write it. Yeah. There'll be no Popery in heaven. Glory to God. Going to celebrate the victory. Are you going to celebrate the victory or groan in the bondage of hell fire? For all eternity. Come on friend. Don't be dodging the column. Don't be trying to get away from it. Face up to it or you're going to celebrate the victory. Secondly, they contemplate the deity. Where are they? They're before the throne. 
Oh, the elders are round about the throne. The four beasts are round about the throne. But not so with God's people. They're all before the throne. Every one of them. We're all going to get up before the throne place. Why? Because for all eternity we're going to contemplate the deity. You know what it says? They shall see his face. The Bible tells me no man can see God and live. And yet in the gospel paradox, no man can live except he sees God. And praise God, we're going to see him. Face to face shall I behold him. Far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. I shall see him by and by. We're going to have a face to face contemplation. Of the blessed Son of God. Oh, what a day when we look in his face. With the eye of faith, I've looked upon that scarred face, that marred face, that suffering face, that torn face of the Son of God. And I tell you, it's a beautiful face, the face of the stranger of Galilee, the face of the man of Nazareth, the face of the blessed Son of God. But one day I'll see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. What a day that's going to be when we contemplate his deity. Is that what you're going to do for all eternity? Are you going to contemplate the flames of hell and the agonies of the damned? Come on, friend. Face up to it. It'll be one or the other. Heaven with Christ or hell without him. What's it going to be? For your soul. Thirdly. They're going to communicate. The glory. Look at verse 10. And cried with a loud voice. Saying salvation. To our God. Which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb. Man there's not a bit there. About holding on. Or man's part. Or man's prowess. I want you to notice three things, three great things about that explanation. First of all, there's the sovereignty of God. It's all about the throne. And thank God it's by the sovereignty of God that men are saved. God is absolutely and totally sovereign. If there's any power to thwart God or defeat God, then God would cease to be God. But I'm glad nothing can thwart him. Nothing can overrule him. Nothing can change him. Nothing can defeat him. He is the sovereign God. Where does this salvation come from? It comes from the throne of God. From the sovereign God. I had an old theological professor. A dear old man of God. And he used to say. Young man. He said God had to teach the prophet a great lesson in theology. So he sent them to school, a most peculiar school. It was the fish's belly. And sitting there with the saliva of the fish, his tongue and throat upon him, and all the acids of the fish's body working on him, he said that prophet learned a great truth. 
And he said, young man, until you learn that lesson in theology, you'll never know how to preach the gospel. What did Jonah learn? Salvation is of the Lord. That's what he meant. And salvation is of the Lord. Oh, I can preach and I can pray. And I can plead. But I can't save a soul. You never heard about a preacher that can save a soul? Oh, yes, you can win a soul. He that winneth souls is why. But you can't save them. God does the saving. So it's about the throne. And then you'll notice it's about the sacrifice. For it's unto the Lamb. The very center, my friend, of the gospel is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So there's salvation, sovereignty, and the sacrifice that makes up the gospel. And they communicate the glory, they give all the glory to the Lord. And when I get to heaven, I'll not be praising myself. I'll be praising Christ. I'll not be saying, Ian, you did well. You made it. I'll be saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me. And thank you, Lord, for getting me through the gates. Tell you something else. It'll be the grace of God that'll keep us in heaven for all eternity. Do you remember Noah? Why did Noah not fall out of the ark? Do you ever think about that? I'll tell you why. For the Lord shut him in. And I'll tell you, we'll be shut into heaven for all eternity. We're going to communicate the glory. Thirdly, they're going to consummate the history. Look at verses 16 and 17. Here's the whole pilgrimage of man. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun lighten them nor any heat. All tears from their eyes. There's man's life. It consists of hunger. It consists of thirst. It consists of the heat and it consists of the tears. Maybe there's some young person here tonight and you've never had a baptism of sorrow yet. Let me disillusion you. You'll have sorrow before you get very far up the road. My father was a great gospel preacher. He was my hero. And as a boy, I used to sit under him and hear him preach the gospel. And I used to say, oh, Lord, give me the privilege of preaching the gospel the way my dad preaches it. I used to go with him in his evangelistic campaigns. And I remember as a little boy, some seven or eight years of age, going to the town of Uma. There was a very special man lived in the town of Uma. They called him John Graham. He was a very special man. Because he did many jobs, and he did them very well. You know, some people say, one man, one job, a lot of nonsense. I want to tell you, the busiest man is the best man to get to do a job. You go to an idler, and he'll make a muck and muddle of it. But you go to a busy man, and he'll do a good job for him. John Graham was a big farmer. Farmers tell me it's a full-time job, and they're always complaining, especially about the weather. I wouldn't blame them sometimes, 
but God understands about the weather. And then they complain about the Northern Ireland office. And I would give them full marks for complaining about that bunch any day. They have my support. But he wasn't only a farmer, but he was a manager of Mount Joy Creamery. So he did his farm. He managed the creamery. He was postmaster of Mount Joy Post Office. So that was another job he did. And he did it well. And then to crown it all, he was the Baptist pastor of Oma. He used to tell my father he had more trouble with a congregation than he had with a creamery, than he had with a cattle on the farm, and he had with a post office. But I'll not enter into that discussion tonight. But I'll tell you one other thing John Green could do. He could play a violin. And I want to tell you, you never heard a violin played till you heard John Graham play it. I remember in a great meeting my dad was having in the Orange Hall, my father said, John, play something before a preach. And I can see that man stand up straight as a ramrod, and he brought his violin from out its case. He rubbed the bow over its strings, and he started to play there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. I saw women opening their handbags and taking out their handkerchiefs and wiping the tears from off their eyes. And I was only a boy, and I knew nothing about sorrow. I knew nothing about trouble. You know, the only sorrow I had in my life was school. I hated school. You know, I often ask the kids at my elections, do you like school? And when a wee fella says, no, I don't like it, I say, son, you're truthful. You're about the only truthful fella here. For I hated school. I used to think if I got rid of school, man, it would be heaven and earth when I got out of school. But I didn't live very long to know what the old preacher was singing about was true. This life's full of troubles. We have our hunger and we're not satisfied. We have our thirsts, and they're never slaked. The heat of the furnace is put on us, and we have to bear the burden and the heat of the day, and our eyes run down with tears, tears because of physical pain, tears because of bereavement, tears because of disappointments, tears because of troubles. But I want you to notice here we consummate the history. The hunger's all finished. Hallelujah. The thirst is all done. Hallelujah. The heat's all over. Praise the Lord. And thank God, God wipes away all tears from their eyes. Heaven, what'll we do there? We'll celebrate the victory. We'll contemplate the deity. We'll communicate the glory. But praise God, we'll consummate the history. But that's not the end. Thank God, we'll complete the story.
And what's the completion of the story? He'll lead his dear children along. Bless God, we're going to follow the Lamb whithersoever he doth lead us. And he's going to lead us unto living fountains of waters. When I was a boy, they used to read my fairy tales. And they all ended with these words. They lived happily ever after. I'm not reading a fairy tale to you. But you can write that over heaven. Praise God we'll all live happily ever after. That's the completion of the story. But what about hell tonight? There they live in gnawing teeth. There they live with blistered bodies and damned souls tossed in the flames of a never-ending hell in the torments of the damned. Make your choice tonight, friend. It's either heaven or hell for you. Make your choice tonight. It's either the glory or the shame for you. Make your choice tonight. It's either the songs of heaven or the sighs of hell. Think carefully. Choose wisely. Come to Christ. Start for heaven. Join the multitude that are marching to Emmanuel's land, to the land that is fairer than day. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this good and blessed word from Your book. We thank Thee, our God, for heaven, for those from earth that will get there, and what they'll do for all eternity when they cross the river. Shall we gather at the river? Thank God men and women can say, yes, we'll gather at the river. The beautiful, beautiful river, gather with the saints at the river that flow.